Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon, and my special guest today is Scott Sinatra. He started his career in sales at PTC and grew into sales management at PTC and then at Datalink. After Datalink, Scott was a GM at Mosier IT before joining Blade Logic. After Blade Logic was acquired, Scott became an area director at BMC before becoming the SVP of worldwide sales at Glassdoor. After Glassdoor, Scott became founding executive and VP of worldwide sales at Glint, which was acquired by LinkedIn. Today, we find Scott as the CEO and the co-founder of a new startup company named Bountiful. And he's joined the Bountiful by his co-founder, Nick Kirkus, the chief technology officer, who's a former engineering leader at Zoom and Salesforce. Welcome, Scott Sinatra. How are you today? Excellent, John. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Scott, so let's start by... Tell us a little bit about Bountiful. Is it in? Is it, are you still in like uh, stealth mode? Or let's talk about it a little. Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, we've emerged from stealth. We're um, we have uh, our product out in the world, in the wild, with customers using it now already. And we are a referral platform for recruiting. So um, most companies use employee referrals as a source for talent. Um, it's often managed on spreadsheets, however. Um, and also, you know, when you use employee referrals as a source, you tend to build really homogenous teams. Uh, I remember when I was at Glassdoor, in fact, 86% of all of our hiring was from employee referrals. But I also remember looking around the room and saying, oh, my gosh, we all look the same. <laughs> you know, so, so fast, yeah. you know, fast forward 10 years now, and um, many organizations are looking to diversify their talent flow. And so uh, we've built effectively a network effects business, extending the employee referral program to enable anybody to refer anybody else into a job. Right? So give me an example of exactly how that would work. Yeah. So a customer uh, will pay to place a position or jobs on our platform. They place a bounty on the position and anybody can register to become a scout, a talent scout, if you will, for that position. So we all have people in our networks we know can be great for jobs. Um, so we're helping scouts or people like you and I monetize the relationships we have in, our, have in our networks. So we can refer people into these jobs. If somebody gets hired from that referral, the scout gets paid. And the bounty, it sounds like that might change based upon the difficulty to hire that in that position. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's it, it's really up to the customer to decide how much bounty they're willing to pay or want to pay. We've seen anywhere from, you know, a thousand dollar bounty to a twenty five thousand dollar bounty. 
Wow. Uh, depending on, you know, the criticality of the position, the seniority of the position, um, the difficulty in hiring the position. The bottom line here is, you know, referrals are a great source. And what the inspiration for Bountiful is that, you know, we can make it even better. And th this idea that network effects businesses can really propel um, an opportunity to make things way better, way broader and universal um, creates a really interesting opportunity for Bountiful, for sure. And you're going after the HR departments or like recruiting departments within HR? Yeah, CHRO, head of head of HR and the head of talent is typically our kind of buying persona right now. And do you collect a fee from the bounty or do you how do you how do you make money? Uh, it's a subscription service, so uh, we're a SaaS model. So customers are paying us for access to the platform. Um, we, right now, we have an unlimited campaign threshold, so any you know customers can join and give us as many jobs as they'd like. Hmm. Um, and they're buying this opportunity for this kind of network effects to take place, but also workflow automation. One of the challenges with um, current programs is it's often managed on spreadsheets. You know, mm -hmm. it's often managed manually. And so there's no software that's managing the end-to-end -end processing of referrals for companies. It's a pain point. And especially, you know, talent teams have to be uh, far more efficient today than ever, ever before. And so we can maximize the efficiency of those teams for sure. You ever get conflicts where there's a position and three people say, I know, I know, I know the same person for that position. Not yet. That'd be a great problem that's, to have. Though. That's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're splitting the bounty. Yeah. yeah. Well, we actually can, you know, we, 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 we are at the level of uh, what's called multi-touch attribution. So we know the multiple hops that, um, you know, a candidate can take through these different networks. And so um, we're engineering an opportunity to create actually multiple payment points across, you know, that scout uh, continuum. It sounds really exciting. I mean, it sounds so logical. You kind of wonder why somebody hadn't thought of it before. So yeah. congratulations. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Hey, Scott, what I want to do is talk about RFPs. Okay, so let's go back to the Blade Logic days to discuss an RFP because you have a very memorable learning experience responding to an RFP. And this experience of yours, I think, is could be extremely valuable for so many people that are having to respond to RFPs. So let me try to set the uh, set the situation. There was a lar very large company in your territory. Actually, I think it, could, it was the largest account in your territory, right? It was a must win. Let's just yeah, put it okay. I was going to get to that. And... It was such a large name that it was a must win. And the reason is because you felt like it would have a ripple effect. Like if I won this account or lost this account, it would ripple through my territory, right? So absolutely. I think you were in the sales process, you were doing discovery, doing things like scoping, you're trying to build champions. You did, I think. I think you did a number of demos and presentations to try to influence the eventual decision criteria. And then they sent out an RFP. But so let's talk about what you were doing. And did you know they were going to send out an RFP? And when they sent that RFP out when you were in you know, your sales process? 
We were an emerging technology at that time. So we were doing a lot of evangelizing. That's putting um, it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were really commercial teachers. You know, we were commercially teaching IT organizations on the benefits and power of automation, you know, at that level. And so for the first, you know, four months or so of my interaction with this particular company, it was all about education. It was all about meetings and kind of um, trying to extract pain and trying to understand, you know, um, their mentality. Um, and so uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, with with this team educating, doing demos, um, sharing. Gartner had actually come out with a report um, talking about this emerging space, gave the, the account a bit of confidence that this is something to invest some time into. Um, and so really my goal um, was to educate to the point where we could get them to fund an initiative. Um, and that's, uh, that's what we, what we set out to do. And so you were doing, you were going down the sales process. So did you, you did some demos probably of the product. You did some presentations of yeah. what the product could do, right? Cause you said you were evangelizing. Now, if I remember right, they, they formed a committee and that might have happened while you were in your sales process, right? Because you sounds like you started to do a pretty good job evangelizing. Gartner comes in, says this could be a real space. Now these guys start to, or this company forms a committee, right? Yeah, the committee formed after they uh, decided to fund an initiative to to investigate and to purchase a product in that space. You know, we had a couple of competitors at the time, so. Um, uh, so the committee was formed, but it was, the committee was really a, a, most of the same people that we'd been educating anyway, uh, which was helpful, obviously. Um, so they just were able to get funding for a particular IT initiative um, to, 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 you know, to try the solution. Again. Yeah. Did you know they were going to send out an RFP? No, my, my hope, no, my, my hope was we could sole source it, but of course that doesn't right. work out every time. <laughs> And, you know, it's such a large yeah. organization. Yeah, it's, it's such a large organization. And, um, you know, procurement there was um, pretty well known for tightening down the hatches, you know, on any sort of sales process. And so, you know, we kind of, uh, we saw the writing on the wall that this is going to be a formalized thing once they put some money behind an initiative. Yeah. Now, so you, uh, they send the RFP out. And what did you discover when you read the RFP? We didn't write it. <laughs> we didn't write it. The committee wrote it, right? So you had some influence, right? But yeah, the RFP honestly was not really, you know, aligned with what you would prefer to be the decision criteria, especially since they were going to go do part of the RFP said you're going to go do a POV also, right? Right. Yeah. So when we found out that they were going to send an RFP, I went straight to a few of the people on that committee to say, "Hey, um, I have um, I have a test plan template that I can provide to you if that would be helpful to put into the RFP, right? So we could save you thirty to sixty days of effort and time. Um, you know, so I gave them this." test plan that we had written as a company to say, you know, this is the kind of uh, steps and decision criteria that a, a customer can use to select our, our solution. 
So I tried to embed our test plan into the RFP process, you know, before this became uber formalized, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we received the RFP, I was expecting to see some of our test plan in the RFP. Right. And I was um, saddened <laughs> to see that it was kind of became far, far more generalized, you know, it was like, more kind of the collective note taking of the committee and some of the things that they'd been learning over several months, not with just with us, but through Gartner and through um, conversations with other vendors. And so I, I noticed immediately that um, a lot of our criteria and the way we wanted the criteria, you know, um, uh, was not in the RFP. So at that you, point, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. So you think it was written without your differentiators because... Well, one, it could be that the customer did not truly understand the power of your differentiators, or they were influenced by a competitor, or it sounds like it was generalized because it was written by a committee. If you had to pick three of those, one of those, which one would you pick? I think it was generalized because it was written by a committee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't know enough to know exactly how to kind of detail the, the, the exact solution and needs they were looking for they just wanted something to automate an it process at that point so so um, you think that they truly didn't understand their real pain points i think that they uh i think that's probably right they didn't understand exactly what they were trying to solve for but they saw this as a good idea that's something that they could make you know um make use of uh, create some efficiencies save them some money down the road etc yeah that's an that's interesting for a lot of salespeople that are listening because a lot of times we just believe that the customer knows everything about their environment. They understand all their pain points. So therefore they clearly should understand exactly how your product and your differentiators will align to their their issues and solve it, you know, seamlessly. But a lot of times companies they either don't have the time to to take to truly understand what their what their issues are and then if they even if they do that they really don't have the knowledge of your product and your differentiators and how they might solve those issues for them so okay so you discover this rfp is watered down let's call it and it's not in your favor you know what did you do well so as I as I read it and assessed what was happening, you know, um, it just it was just like we mentioned, it was like basic and it lacked detail. And so I I wanted it to be way more detailed, right? In terms of the decision criteria for them to make a decision. Um now let me stop you right there before you say yeah. something, because I think if I remember right, once the RFP came out, correct me if I'm wrong, the purchasing or someone essentially placed a gag order on the committee saying you mr committee mr and mrs committee are not allowed to talk to any salespeople since this rfp was was released is that correct yeah yeah there was a total gag order in fact they had us as a vendor right um sign into a portal all communication was through the portal right um, any sort of um, conversations outside of the portal resulted in a hand slap, and I did get my hand slapped. I tried. Um, 
And so learned learned a little bit of a lesson there, you know, just in terms of uh, their rigor around compl- <laughs> compliance to a process. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking back, John, and that RFP was so generalized and, and a rep, right, um, in in many situations who, you know, is trying to work the biggest account in their territory might just be like, this is the way it is. And I'm just going to have to rely on my engineering team to dazzle them, right? When it comes down to showing the product and make this, uh, you know, an engineering versus engineering team cage match, if you will. Um, and, you know, as we've learned that that is just not a great approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what did I do? All right. What did, so what, I, did, what did you do? Scott? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, I, I, this is not set up for success. You know, I can go down this road and I can, uh, I can, I can smoke hopium is what I call it. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, hoping that, you know, we can show well, or, uh, I can try to change the game. And so what I did is I called you, uh, and you remember this, I called you and I said, John, I said, here's the situation. I said, We've been educating this account for months. It's an important account for us to get in the territory. I don't know who my champions are. I've had a really hard time, right? Identifying who is going to do our selling for us and we're not there. Um, the RFP is general. It, it doesn't contain our test criteria, you know? Um, and you gave me some of the best advice I've ever received in my sales career. You know, you took a deep breath took a step back and you said, you know, we had a choice to make. We can either play by somebody else's rules or we can change the game. Um, And for us to win, the criteria had to change. We knew that. And so, um, you know, to make things harder, as I mentioned, we didn't have a champion that I knew of. So um, your advice to me was to walk away. Right. <laughs> from Which the biggest account well and immediately from the biggest well. account in my territory. That's not that's not the reason I called you, John. That's not what I want to hear. No. <laughs> not what I was uh, hoping to get out of this conversation. And um but you you explained yourself. Um and you said either they're going to say goodbye and if they say goodbye, you weren't going to win anyway. You right. had no chance. Or they're going to try to keep you in. And if they're trying to keep you in, there's something with the solution, right? That maps to the pain and maps to them solving a problem. Um, you're saying, you're saying I've got a chance. You're saying there's you're a saying chance. I got a chance, exactly. So, um, so you and I decided together on how to do this. And you know, we, we, re, we, we came to the conclusion that because this was a formal process, and because I had to do this thing through this portal that we'd write a letter. So I wrote a letter to the committee and I basically said, Hey, if this is the criteria you're going to use to make a decision, we're going to, we're going to respectfully decline to participate. But let's, let's, I, uh, I, let's add some color to that. You, it was, it was a very professional, you wrote a very professional yeah. Yeah. business-like letter, um, you know, with all due respect to the company and to the committee and all the effort that they've put in um it wasn't just like if you don't like it we're out it was you wrote a very professional letter yeah yeah yes yes that that's true and then i spent probably 30 minutes looking at that letter 
waiting to hit the send button. <laughs> I was like, only 30 minutes, only 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Only 30 minutes. Yeah. So I hit the send button and, um, lo and behold, you know, several hours later, I received a, uh, two phone calls, actually not one, but two phone calls from two people on the committee. So they actually went around procurement, called me and basically said, what are you doing? We need you in the process. We like you, right? What's going on? And, uh, and so I explained to them, I said, um, we'd like to see a little bit, you know, harder line on the decision criteria for the decision, the shopping list of things that you're going to need to solve your problem. I gave you a test plan. Um, it's mapped really well to our solution. But in general, um, it will work for a lot of solutions to solve your problem. I said, so the test plan is a really good way to get more detailed in your RFP. And if you can use that, you know, the criteria that's set in that test plan, I'll be happy to participate. Yeah, just the fact like, that they, you know, a couple committee members went around, you know, purchasing, yeah. and called you was huge sign that that they yeah. wanted you and, and they know and you know that since they were a committee and since they had a gag order on them just the fact that they would call you and speak to you at all said you had whatever they were giving you they had a lot more that's really what it told us right yep it also flushed out right some some influencers or you know champions if you will which i didn't know that we had and so it was a real test you know um I looked at that as a test and it definitely um, it definitely flushed out people that were going to be rooting for us in the process. And they were willing to go to bat to make the changes necessary to get us in there, which was great. So that that must have made you think when those couple people called you must must have made you like look back on your interactions with them and realize how close to the chest they they held their cards. I, I remember. um those that's for that four months of education with that team I, I i kept walking out of those meetings like man i can't I, like the radar is always on you know for who can be our champion right. who has the power and the influence and the willingness and the ability to do it i walked out of every single one of those meetings like man i don't know who it is <laughs> i cannot for the life of me they were stoic you know it was like one of those things where you know i feed on emotion in a room i couldn't get it and, you know, it was it was driving me kind of crazy, actually. Um, and, and so, you know, the RFP comes out. I don't know if we have one. We use this uh, strategy and we were able to flush a couple of people out that now we're willing to step up, which is great. OK, so now they you're speaking to them a, a little bit. You told them that you have already presented them with this like um, I can't remember what you just called it, that they could uh, this matrix that they could incorporate into um their test yeah. plan yeah and and what happened what did they do so um we got a we got a um uh, an addendum from the portal we as vendors uh so procurement you know decides to create an addendum to the plan um and they added a bit more detail in terms of the things that the company was looking for to solve the problem you know as part of the rfp response um, so I thought that was really interesting. You know, there was, there's a, there's a change now in, in, in this process. They're coming your way. But if I remember right, um, when you looked at it, 
you didn't feel like they made enough changes that you were feeling very comfortable about participating. Is, correct. Isn't that correct? Yeah. So, so we get the addendum from procurement and I read it and it still isn't right. <laughs> it's not perfect. And we knew that our competition was going to be able to do some smoke and mirror kind of activity, you know, behind the scenes to try to make their solution work. If the test criteria was generalized, we knew exactly, right, the steps, the sequence of events that needed to happen for us to win. And it just didn't say that in the RFP, right, to the point that I was comfortable. And so what did so what I did do? You, yeah, what did you, what did you do? <laughs> I wrote another letter. <laughs> you did? So that part I don't remember. Go ahead. Tell me I about I wrote it. another letter. And... Very professional, you know, we really appreciate the time, but if this is the criteria you're going to use to make a decision, we're gonna respectfully decline to participate further. Wow. I spent another 30 minutes considering whether I should send that <laughs> send that, that letter. One, that was after a sleepless night. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest account in the territory, million right. dollar deal on the line. Yeah. And, uh, and so I hit send. Several hours later, I get a call and uh, one peculiar guy is like, dude, you are killing us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, these are not... all amazing signs. Just the fact that they're picking up the phone and calling you when they have a gag order. It was great. They can get in trouble. It just yeah. says a lot, right? It was great. And so they, uh, they said, dude, you're killing us. And uh, what are you doing? And uh, what's going on? And I said, it's not right. It's not perfect. Please get in the RFP exactly, you know, the sequence of events, the things that need to happen on that on that criteria list, on that matrix. And if if that can happen, right, we're going to win and you're going to win. And um, we're all going to be high fiving at the end of this. And they're like, OK, now, when so did you decide that, when did you decide that they had made enough changes that you could stop pushing and move forward with? Um, finalizing the RFP and, and potentially moving towards a POV. We got a second addendum from the procurement team <laughs> through that RFP portal. Now with the changes that, you know, reflected what I wanted as far as far as the decision criteria goes. And, um, you know, at that point is like, this thing is set up for success. If we've written that test criteria, that test plan, right? Effectively, there's no way we can lose. I also think, if I remember right, um, you and I had spoken again, and we felt like we that was enough. Like we really couldn't push these people anymore. That was <laughs> we we were we were like right on the line. We were definitely on the right? line. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We were on the line. So, <laughs> all right. So now you're going to get ready to do the POV. Yep. Okay. And when you're getting you're you're in the room. Now, with the committee, you probably haven't seen actually seen them since the RFP came out. Yeah. Did you get any, you know, verbal signals, nonverbal clues that you were doing the right thing by performing the POV? But what did you when you walked in the room and saw the people like what would your stomach say? What would your my intuition stomach, say? Good, good, yeah, um, my intuition was telling me that. Um, uh, all we had to do was perform according to plan and we were going to win. Um, 
they also validated for me during that week that we did the test um, that the competition was going to really struggle to actually um, finish the test plan. They told um, you that explicitly. Yeah, they, they told oh, me. Wow. That. Yeah. And and so um, I, I came out of there with a lot of confidence that, you know, we did what we said we were going to do uh, as written, you know, in the RFP process. And um, at that point, I actually, John, felt like we had an opportunity to sole source this deal. Okay, let me, let me, um, I want to go back just a little bit there. So did you do anything special during the POV to highlight or educate the customer on some of the differentiators that you that the committee did not originally have in the RFP and you put in the RFP or knew, you know you needed to have essentially in the RFP. Did you do any of that during the POV? Yeah, I did a lot of explaining, of course, me and the team, right? This is a team sport. So sure. you know, the engineering team that was with us. And we did a lot of explanation in terms of why we had to do things in the sequence of events we were doing them. And we did that to expose actually our competition's weaknesses. Um, we were explaining that, you know, you're not going to have to do a lot of custom coding with our solution, you know, uh, to make it work. Um, however, you're going to see, you know, when other vendors try to comply to this test plan, that they're going to have to do a lot of coding on the side or behind the curtain to make the solution look good for you during this test. And so we kept kind of feeding that kind of information to them during the POV to the point where they're like, you know, this is this has become kind of a no-brainer. You guys, you guys are satisfying the test plan. You are meeting the needs of us as a committee to help, you know, uh, perform against the solution we funded against. We got a lot of uh, we got a lot of validation during that week, which was great. Certainly so helped. When you walked out, did you feel like? you know, I'm going to win this thing, or you felt like I had a high probability of winning or a 50-50% chance of winning? How'd you feel? I felt like we had a high probability of winning. The next thing that was on my mind was a desperate vendor trying to buy the business or steal the business through some sort of a pricing, you know, kind of a deal. Um, but that uh, that never actually came to fruition. In fact, the two other vendors that... Um, had elected to participate in the plan one of one of them actually declined to participate they just wow yeah great we locked them out great now do you think you would have had any chance of winning this business if you didn't professionally pull out of the rfp no and why do you say that so adamantly um knowing what i know now um, it would have been, I maybe, maybe knows is a very strong word, but it would have been left to engineering teams doing the magic behind the scenes to show well. That's and it, was did, cra- it was a crapshoot. It was a crapshoot. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, looking back surely. And, and, and then since then I wanted some assurances that, um, we had a great chance of winning if, you know, we could get decision criteria established. Um, the way we needed it. So what were some of the biggest lessons you learned that are now, you know, in your DNA, as far as, you know, thinking about RFPs? Uh, one, no champ, no deal. 
<laughs> uh, you know, it might sound obvious, but our job as salespeople is to um, develop, you know, champions. You have to identify them first. And um, I was really challenged in identifying who those people or that person could be on that committee. Um, and if you don't know, you know, that's a yellow light. You need, you know, do not pass through yellow lights. That is something that needs to, you know, cause you to pause and try to flush them out if you can. Um, now, Scott, really you, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. I thought you were done with that. No, Go ahead. Good. No, it's just really important that you have to have somebody selling for you when you're not there um, yeah. that has the influence to do that. Now, just I'm just really curious. Did you did you wind when you look back? Did you wind up having one champion or two champions in that room? I had one um, primary that had the influence and some coaches. Wow, great. Yeah, yeah. And what the about? Thing, yeah. So no yeah. champ, no deal. Secondly, yeah. I would say is um, understand how to set decision criteria. Um, the shopping list of cap capabilities required to solve pain is fundamental, right? You need to be trained as a salesperson to know your products and services really well, and also um, your competition's products and services really well so that you can differentiate. Um, really important to um, establish decision criteria and help the customer, you know, with that shopping list of features and um, uh, and benefits in your solution right? That maps to pain. That's just, um, I've always said, you know, as, as far as medic goes, for me, decision criteria is, you know, is the one. Um, if you can build the decision criteria in your favor, it's really hard to lose. Yeah. Right. You know, and you got to control it to your point with the champion. Exactly. Yeah. I'd say finally, you know, training, I just mentioned it, but training matters, you know, um, we have to understand ourselves. We have to understand our competition better than they know themselves. And we, we would not have won that deal. I don't think we would have won that deal if we didn't know the details of how to beat the competition. And that was trained in us. You helped us with that um, significantly. And um, that has certainly stayed with me. Uh, for all these years afterwards it's been great let's talk now just in general terms for for um the listeners you know like in terms of responding to rfps what are some lessons or comments that you would think about on in general terms of an rfp that you need to think about like an rfp comes out sales rep looks at it what what do they have to first think about You have to think about one, if you didn't write it, who, who did? <laughs> right. Somebody, somebody did. Somebody wrote it. Now, how, in your experience now, how many times does a committee write it versus another competitive salesperson? That's actually hard for me to answer, you know, because committees are taking their cues from all sorts of information sources. Mm -hmm. Right. I think in today's sale, there's so much public information available to committees and buyers, you know, mm. more so today than ever before, that they can start to form opinions without ever talking to you or your competitor. Well, that's a really good point. Really yeah. good point. Yeah. And, but that said, you know, um, we as salespeople, our job is to get that 
you know, get them thinking about our solution versus somebody else. And so um, you're always thinking, I've always thought anyway, that you know, we didn't write it, somebody else did. Now, who that somebody else is, not exactly sure. Sometimes there are tells, certainly if we know our competition well, um, but certainly you need to understand that. If you didn't write Chances it, are, if, if we didn't write it, then our differentiators are not in it. So we have to have an opportunity to change the criteria or we it would be crazy to to try and play right. unless you're bold enough to do what scott sinatra did with the biggest account in his territory <laughs> even you know john i was you know cro at um at glint or head of sales at glint and um we would get inbound rfps you know fairly often right and my job really was to look at those and decide if we were going to participate in those or not. Mm. And if we didn't have any sort of influence on the criteria, we either had to, you know, pause and see if we can change the criteria or decide, you know, not to participate. And we, we did a little bit of both, actually. And when you were doing that, were you looking at whether or not it aligned to your ideal customer profile? along with the differentiators or the the problem or use case inside the rfp 100 percent. yeah i have two i have two examples actually if you want me to share stories oh yeah so, love stories so what, what we received this rfp from a, a, a an it consulting organization that has two hundred fifty thousand employees um we were pricing our product on number of employees um, our biggest customer at that point in our life cycle as a company was, you know, 10% of, <laughs> of that size of a company. So we didn't know if we could support somebody that big, right? Um, so we get this RFP out of the blue. I read it. It's again, it's like similar to the um, use case or the story we've been telling um, during this, during this conversation. Uh, it was very generalized. It was hard to tell if who was writing it, you know, a lot of consulting companies in there, et cetera. And so I was like, man, this is a little bit out of our, uh, out of our zone, right? This is way outside of our ICP. Let's decide not to spend the next three months, you know, pursuing this one. And so I, I wrote them, um, you know, a nice note again. And I said, Hey, you know, if this is the criteria you're going to use to make a decision, you know, we, we really appreciate the opportunity, but you know, we're going to have to decline to participate. Um, funny enough, I received a phone call. <laughs> hey, shortly thereafter, these and, letters uh, start to work. They seem to work. this this time. It wasn't the customer that was calling me. It was um, an HR analyst that had been a friend of the company. Okay, and he's a major uh, influencer in the HR world. And he called and said, "What are you guys doing? You can't you can't leave this RFP." <laughs> and I was like. Uh, okay. Um, sounds like we have somebody in there doing some, some work for us on our behalf. So, um, and they listen to this person, right? So, um, so long story short, we answered the RFP. We were able to get the criteria changed. Um, many meetings, you know, uh, flushing out the same kind of story, flushing out champions, you know, getting the, uh, getting the criteria the way we needed it and ultimately won the deal. Um, wow. which was really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. We got a, I got another one too, from a, a very well-known company who, uh, 
sent us uh, an RFP that was written as if we wrote it. It was like perfect, um, but we had no influence over it, hmm. which was really interesting. We had not. How do you think that? Them. How do you think that happened? Is is it going back to what you said t- that today? A lot of companies can go and do a lot of homework on your your company. I think that's exactly right. And it made me feel really good that the pain we were solving was the pain customers were feeling. Mm. And in this case, they expressed it in their RFP to the point where, as like I said, we could have written it. I will tell you, though, that process, there was 25 vendors in that process. They invited 25 companies to participate. But when you saw that it was basically written for you, then if you're a competitor, you have to believe that, you know, Glint was going to win that deal. You would think, uh, but they got 25 responses of people saying, we would love to have you as a company. We like your logo. You know, we're willing to smoke the hopium, right. To try to win this thing. Right. And, um, and you know, the, the cream rises to the top in these scenarios pretty fast. And so, you know, they, they work that 25, uh, those 25 vendors down to five pretty quickly, then to three. And then, you know, we became a finalist and ultimately won it. Good story. Yeah. Now, sometimes if you're playing with, um, you know, the company that was 250,000 uh, people or employees, um, I've seen in some RFPs where there's really unfavorable terms and conditions because purchasing might put stuff in there to re- essentially lock a small company out because they'll put in like, you know, uh, I ip transfers payment delays and other types of you know contractual aspects that just make the deal a lot less attractive so sometimes you know you might be able to win the deal but then you're really sad that you actually have the deal right so exactly yeah what else have you seen as far as things that people should think about as far as you know when they get an rfp well john to, to that point though let me let me jump in on that because um i've seen that before some RFPs come in into the company and that organization actually wants you to be a kind of a custom engineering shop for them. Mm. And um that's a that's a that's a danger signal big time, right? Yes. You you have to be building products and services that meet the masses, not the, you know, the needs of a client and as big as that company might be and as attractive as that logo might be, um, you, you cannot put your company or your engineering team in that position to be a custom app shop, you know, for somebody like that. You have to be able to flush that out. You have to understand that. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, also, if you have never been calling on an account, um, in your case, you had with the 250,000 employee company, you had, you essentially had an internal salesperson that was a, you know, was an outside consultant. And then the other one where they wrote the RFP for you, essentially, that means you had some sort of potential champion already in that account. But if I've never called on the account and it comes out and it's written for the competition, it's going to be really difficult for me to, to play. What exactly. do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to make a go no go decision on those really fast. If you have no opportunity to influence the criteria, then you shouldn't play. Yeah, 
The other thing, too, that people have to realize is that responding to an RFP and then going and do a POV that could last, you know, in some cases, days or weeks, that's that's really high opportunity costs. It's high risk and the chance, the probability of winning are really low. Um, so it might be a lot smarter to go play, play someplace else, right? I, I've always thought that, again, this is a team sport. You know, I'm the quarterback on, you know, if I'm a IC, I'm the quarterback in an account. But I've got a team, you know, that um, wants the confidence to work with me on deals. Mm. And if I'm putting them in the position, right, to be successful, putting them in a position so where they're not wasting their time, I'm establishing credibility with my ecosystem with the moves that I'm making to make sure that this account or this deal is set up right for a high probability of success. So that's I, a re really good point. Very good point. So I encourage you know younger salespeople and lesser experienced salespeople to think about that a lot. You know, you, you've got a team of people that are relying on you, uh, and if you um, if you manage a sales process with the idea that you're going to make them successful, um, they're going to appreciate that a lot. You're going to build a lot of internal credibility with those teams. And when you ask them to do something, they're going to be, they're definitely going to be more apt to want to help you. Yeah. Very good point. Let's transition a little, unless you have anything else you want to talk about on RFPs. We could talk all day long about RFPs. But yeah. Yeah, I got to say, good. after those two stories you just told me about, Glenn, you're a pretty lucky guy with some of these RFPs, Scott Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> You make your own luck, John. Yeah, you do. That's very, very true. Let's talk about, you know, you're now a CEO, right? You had to make the transition from CRO to CEO. And even when you made the transition to CRO, you started to realize, oh, my God, there's a lot more to this job than I thought. And there's a lot more things that fall on my desk. And now you're going from CRO to CEO. Talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, you're, you're facing in that transition or you did face in that transition. It's been an incredible uh, transition for me, actually. So, you know, when you're a head of a department, um, it's pretty easy to kind of sit in your own swim lane and worry about your own metrics and you'll worry about your own, you know, performance, you know, relative to the business, et cetera. Um, and, you know, and you can get caught up in that actually. Um, even though you're on the executive team, et cetera, you've got a job to do and a specific function to manage and run. As I've transitioned into um, um, the top job, you know, for the company I helped start, um, uh, it, it's been incredible for me because now I am way more in tune with product. I may way more in tune with um, helping Nick, you know, drive product decisions, Nick, my co-founder. Um, I, I am founder selling, you know, I'm the salesperson for the company. Right. Um, I'm worried about marketing and brand. I'm worried, worried about investment, investor relations, you know? Um, so it, everything, you know, comes to me right now and I absolutely love it. You know, the diversification of my job right now is something I've actually been longing for. 
um, and feel like I'm in a really good spot. Um, but it's it's pulled me out of just being the, the sales guy, right? And into being um, the business guy. And um, I've learned a ton already and will continue to learn a ton. I've got fantastic investors that are great coaches and mentors and teachers to me. And um, I, I've been able to get a lot of advice from a lot of really brilliant people. And um, that's always helpful. But um, it's been a bit natural for me. I've always, you know, um, I always... When I was leading sales organizations, I was always thinking about, you know, kind of the business impact of the decisions that I was making. Um, now, you know, that transition just become natural for me. So yeah. And at this stage of your company, because it's still a young company, um, I find that whether you're the CEO or the CRO, just in my experience of watching other companies, that you're also a product manager. Yeah. Right. And that's been fun for me. Um, it's not something I've done before, actually. You know, I as, as a CRO, I get to, you know, tell the product team, hey, this is what customers saying they want or need. Oftentimes, the motivation for that is that I want you to build something I can sell, right? Right, of course. Now I'm thinking about, actually, what can we build that's sustainable, that's actually, um, you know, can help this company not only in the short term, but in the long term, meet the needs of a big mass variety of, of types of customers. And so my perspective has changed for sure. Yeah. Just, also put some, what you're referring to, I think, is putting distance between you and competitors that if they're not there now, they're going to come. Exactly. Right. No question. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. It's awesome, Scott Sinatra. I'm really happy for you. Thanks, John. Thanks for doing this. You're uh, my pleasure. It's always yeah. always great to talk with you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've I just you know look I've learned so much from you and uh, you've been an incredible mentor to me and um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to have gotten to know you to have been coached by you. Um, the lessons I've learned you know in your organizations have helped me for sure in my my career and my life and I can't thank you enough. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you, you staying in shape with this job? I, I'm doing the best I can. I'm oh, not yeah? doing triathlon anymore, but you're not. Uh, I'm staying active. No, no, no. I'm staying active. You still you doing know. a little running or riding or swimming or none of the above? A little tennis, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, pickleball. I played pickleball yesterday. In fact, um, picking it up. Exploding sport. It's, Exploding. it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's actually pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to stay active, John. You know, when I was living in Europe, I lived in Europe and in Asia for five years, not too long ago, and all the travel and all of that, it was really, really hard to prioritize. The distances and when you travel in Asia are just so huge, even compared yeah. to the United States. It's crazy. So. Exactly. Well, Scott, thanks again. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.